You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Stan Lee is a comic book writer, editor, actor, producer, publisher, television personality, and former president and chairman of Marvel Comics, with artists including Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and... Don Eck, Bill Everett. He create, co-created Spider-Man, the Hulk, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and Thor. He created the Marvel Universe and challenged the Comics Code Authority. His new books are Stan Lee's How to Write Comics and Stan Lee's How to Draw Comics. Thank you for joining me, Stan. Hi, good morning. I just want to mention Bill Everett is the guy who co-created the uh, Daredevil with me. These books are a great guide for somebody trying to create comics now, but I'd like you to take us back when you first started creating comics. You were a busy guy, weren't you? And you were so young. You graduated high school when you were 16 and a half. You're kind of a genius, I guess. (laughs) Well, in those days, a lot of guys did. It was was a depression era, and... um, you wanted to get out of school as soon as possible so you could go to work because everybody needed the money. My father, for the most part, had been unemployed. We never had enough money. We were the only family in our neighborhood. We never had a car. Um, In fact, when we got a telephone, it was a big thing. We lived in a very tiny apartment, and um, yeah, I wanted to work and I wanted to bring some money in, but I wasn't the only one. Most of my friends were in the same boat. and that was it. Well, you so you started working in the comic business at 17. Tell us about your first job. Well, the first thing I did was, um, in those days, in order for the comic book to be considered a magazine and get what they called second-class post office entry, which meant the publisher could mail the books out using less postage than if they didn't have that second-class entry. In order to get that, you had to have two pages of prose in each book. If it was just all comics, you didn't get second-class mailing privileges. I think that's what it was called. So every comic book had a two-page story, which nobody read, because the people reading the comics didn't want to bother reading that. It didn't matter who wrote it. It didn't matter how it was written. It didn't matter what the story was. It was just put in there to satisfy the post office. So the first writing assignment I had was to write those two-page stories. (laughs) So the first two-page story I wrote, all prose, was Captain America and the something. I don't even remember the name of it. And um, it was easy to write. I batted it out in a few minutes, and I started writing all the two-page stories until finally they, I don't know why they decided to, but at one point Simon and Kirby gave me an actual comic strip to write. And from then on, I was off and running. Now, as a, in the early days, uh, I'd like you to just talk about the, the kinds of characters you were creating and how you were dreaming up the characters, the process of characterization itself. Well, basically, I, I, I think in those days I started with a name. There was one I remember called the Destroyer. Today, I don't remember who he was or what he was, but I liked the name, the Destroyer, so I wrote a story about a guy called the Destroyer. Then we had one called Father Time. 
I, again, I don't remember exactly what he was. Maybe he was a guy who could um, travel in time. I don't know. But I think the name was Simon and Kirby's, and they asked me to write it. Or maybe it was my name, and they wrote it. It's so hard to remember back that far. And we never thought these things would be important. We never thought years later people would be asking us about them. So um, in my own case, as I say, I would try to come up with a name that I liked and then write a story about it. One of the things you say about your work is in the books is that the concepts for characters from come from basic truths about humanity. And I think this is, stems from uh, your decision to um, turn what had been up till the point you made this decision, uh, one-dimensional characters, characters who were perfect paragons of of good, who had only superpowers and no characters, you turned them into human beings. Well, that's right. I, um, When I finally was able to do the stories the way I wanted to do them, uh, my only critic was me. I was, I was the editor. I was the editor-in-chief, and I was the only person I had to satisfy. My publisher let me do whatever stories I wanted. So I tried to write the kind of stories I would want to read, and I like to read stories about characters that are interesting, that have interesting personalities. Didn't matter to me whether they were heroes or villains, each one of them, they, they should have a personality, a distinct personality. Just like I, have, I had and I have a lot of friends. Well, I pick my friends carefully. I try to make friends with people that I find interesting. If somebody is dull, I try not to become too friendly with them because I don't want to be bored. And the same goes for a story. I feel if you're writing about characters, you should make those characters interesting. You give them a personality that if they really existed, you'd want to know them. You'd want to be with them. The way they talk is interesting. The way they think is interesting. It doesn't matter if they're the villain or the hero or the girl or the guy or a teenager or what. They should have their own personality and something about them should be interesting. And those are the kind of characters I always tried to write. Tell us uh, about the decision you had to make when you were going to quit writing comics entirely. You were going to just give it up. I, I didn't. I was going to what? When you were going to quit writing comics, oh, yeah. and you you went to, you uh, asked told your wife this, and she made one suggestion to you that I think literally changed the world. Oh, that's when I wanted to quit. Uh, that was in the early days, before I did the Fantastic Four. I wanted to quit because I didn't like the stories my publisher was asking me to write, and my wife said, "Well, why don't you write one story the way you want to write it?" Worst that can happen is he'll fire you. You want to quit anyways, but you get it out of your system. So that's when I wrote the Fantastic Four, the way I wanted characters to be. Luckily, the book sold, so I wasn't fired, and I stayed there. I think that you've been engaged in a, a, the process, consciously or unconsciously, of making myths for the 21st century, 20th century, <clears throat> of creating uh, these characters and stories that enable us to understand the way we interact with the technology around us, in the same way the Greeks' uh, myths enabled them to understand and personalize the world around them. Did you do this on purpose? I mean, were, had you thought about the mythological nature of the kind of superheroes you were creating? No, I really didn't. I wasn't trying to write myths. 
I w the only thing in my mind was to try to write the kind of stories that I myself would like to read. Of course, I, I myself like to read stories about mythological characters as well as real characters. Um, but that would have been too flighty a concept for me. Remember, I was writing quite a lot of comic books every month. And the thought uppermost in my mind is, okay, I just finished one Spider-Man, now i got to write the next Spider-Man. Now, who will the villain be, and what will the problem be, and how will he get out of it? What will I tell Steve Ditko to draw? And uh, that was the only thing on my mind. I, I, I didn't have time to think, I'm going to establish a mythological world. That just sort of happened by accident. You know, I think actually the speed with which you work played a part in that, in that you must have been operating pretty much on, uh, unconsciously. Well, I, I was operating consciously <laughs> in the fact that I was thinking of the stories I was writing, but um, many people, it, it's like I have friends who are artists and they'll do a painting and somebody will look at the painting and the person will say, oh, I can tell looking at this painting you were obviously trying to show man's inhumanity to man, and they, they go on and on. And my friend will turn to me and he'll say, no, all I wanted to do is do a pretty painting that people would enjoy looking at. People read so much into things that maybe you never even intended to put there. Mm -hmm. But that's good. If I can write the kind of story that makes people think that it's bigger than it really is, then I'm very happy. It means that uh, they enjoyed it. You know, the storytelling process in comics is, and the reading uh, experience in comics is very different from prose. You started out writing prose. Um, talk about, the, you, you developed, uh, comic books are often written from scripts, but you developed your own method of doing this called the Marvel Method. And what I happened was I, um, I was writing so many books that I couldn't keep up with the artists. I'd be writing a script, let's say, for Jack Kirby. And uh, Don Heck would come over and he'd say, Stan, I need another Iron Man or whatever he was working on. And I didn't have time to write his script because I didn't finish Kirby's. But I had to give Don something because he was a freelancer, which meant he wasn't on salary. So if he wasn't drawing something, he wasn't getting paid. These artists only got paid for what they brought in, the, the, the artwork. So I'd say, look, Don, I can't give you your script now. I don't have time to write it, but let me tell you what the idea of the story is. You go ahead and draw anything you want as long as you keep within this framework. I'll put the words in later. <coughs> so I did that with Don, and then I did that with Jack, and I did it with Steve Ditko. And in that way, just by giving them an outline or a synopsis of what I wanted the story to be, they would go home and they would draw it based on that outline. And they would add any details they wanted to make it more interesting. They could lay it out any way they wanted. Then they would bring me the drawings and I would put in the dialogue balloons based on what their drawings showed. In that way, I was able to keep a lot of because I can do the dialogue balloon. I, I mean, I could do a page of dialogue in five minutes. That took no time at all. So that enabled me to keep a lot of artists busy at one time. And that became 
what I called the Marvel method. I would just tell an artist what I wanted the story to be, let him or her go home and draw it any way they wanted to, bring it back in pencil, and I would put in all the dialogue. And if they had gone far afield or if they had drawn something that I didn't think was right, I could still fix it by suiting the dialogue to what they had drawn or some captions and making it seem as if that was just the drawing I wanted. And I was able to control the stories that way, but most importantly, I was able to do 20, 30, 40, whatever it was, books a month. That's an amazing amount of work, and it, it seems to me, too, that you really establish the comics as a, as a collaborative medium, and those kind of collaborations must have been really exciting. Talk about working with these artists and the, the different temperaments, because I can't imagine they were all the same kind of guy. Oh, it, it comics is a tremendously collaborative uh, business or art form. Now, of course, there are some artists who write their own stories. Some people do the story and the artwork, but I always worked with artists who just did the illustrations and I put the words in. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't help with the story. For instance, I might tell Steve Ditko the simplest thing, like in this story, I want to use the, the lizard for the villain and I want, um, it looks like when he turns into the lizard, he might kill his wife he doesn't remember that she's his wife and he loves her and Spider-Man saves him at the uh, saves her at the last minute. Maybe I'd add a couple more details, but that was about it. And then I'd say, you go ahead and give me 20 pages of that, Steve. Now, he would draw that any way he wanted, and he'd put in a million angles that I hadn't even thought of. But then when I got the artwork back, I put in all the words and I made everything hold together. It was like doing it to me. Writing these stories was like doing a crossword puzzle. I'd get back this artwork. I had pretty much forgotten what the idea was supposed to be because I had told him a week ago or so, and, and I don't have a good memory. So half the time I was looking at something, I didn't even know what I was looking at, and I had to make a story out of it. But it was fun. It was like a game. I loved doing it. You know, you talked about angles, and I think that's something that's really important to comics because comics as a medium really came to full fruition during the era of cinema and films. And there's a lot of crosstalk and influence between those two uh, forms. That were, were you influenced by the movies you, you saw in terms of story? Well, I think people are influenced by everything. I was certainly influenced by everything I read, by every movie I had seen, by every stage show I had seen, by every conversation I had ever had with anybody. Uh, Everything that you see and hear in your life influences you. And certainly movies influence me. They have a great influence on everyone. I know my favorite hero is Errol Flynn. I always wanted to be like Errol Flynn, who played Robin Hood and the mayor of Dodge City and all those other things he played. And, um, yeah, I was influenced by everything. One of the things that, that you're... I'd like to get back to the, the humanization of your, your characters. Uh, talk about, you know, getting these characters, giving them flaws. I mean, Spider-Man has all sorts of doubts. Iron Man is arrogant. I mean... I got you. Well, in order to make the care, I wanted the characters that I wrote to seem like real people who perhaps could exist in the real world. Now, we all know nobody is perfect. 
I hate to say it, but even I'm probably not perfect, or possibly not perfect. And um, we all have flaws. We all have things that uh, we're not happy about. And I wanted our characters to seem to be real. Um, I always felt some superheroes, all you knew about them is that they wear a mask, nobody knows who they are, and they go out and they fight the bad guys. But what do they do when they're not fighting the bad guys? What, what is their ambition in life? What are their problems? Don't they want to get married? Or if they are married, have they a happy marriage? I, nothing was ever made of their private life. So I, I tried to write characters who had private lives, who had their own hang-ups, their own problems, and I thought that would make them human and make them realistic and make readers care more about them. Talk about the the shared universe you created, and and it was set in New York City, which I think is really interesting. That's where you lived, so mm -hmm. you, uh, it, it comes back to one of the maxims that's in this book: write what you know. You were writing what you know, didn't you? weren't you? Our, our heroes had to live somewhere, and because I wanted them to meet each other and to guest star in each other's books, I decided I'd have them all live in a in approximately the same place and. What better place than the city that I lived in, which was New York? First of all, as one of the biggest cities in the world, it had everything. It has um, mountains further upstate. It has rivers. It had subways. It had crowded streets. It had taxi cabs. It had the seaport of New York with ships coming in from all over the world. It had tunnels from one borough to another. There was so much in New York that you could use as background. And I knew New York. I, I had lived there all my life. I knew it like the palm of my hand. So it was easy for me to put my characters in New York, to write about them there. It gave the stories a little touch of reality. And also, it, um, it gave me the, the chance to put them in what I thought was a real world, even though they were overgrown bigger-than-life characters, I wanted everything else to be realistic. One of the pieces of advice you give in this book, uh, How to Write Comics, is write. And, and I'd like you to just talk a little bit about your writing process. <clears throat> Do you write, like, under the gun? Do you put yourself, wait for that deadline to arrive 10 minutes before the deadline, and then go, oh, my God? Or do you plan and prep? Every writer probably has his own different style. Mine is... I love writing when I'm writing. When I'm writing a story, I concentrate on it 100%. I don't hear if somebody else is talking. Um, I used to write stories when we lived in Long Island. Years ago when I was doing the Marvel books, I would stand outside because I loved the sun, and I stood outside in our terrace, and I kept the typewriter, we used a typewriter then, on a, on a tall table, and I would just stand up typing on it. I stood up because I didn't want to get a pot belly. I felt if I sit all day, I'll get too flabby. So there I am standing up and typing. My wife is with some friends of hers, 10 feet away talking and having a little party. I didn't even hear them because I would concentrate 100% on what I was doing. But the point is, when I was writing, I loved doing it, but I hated to get started. If I knew I had a story to write, I would say, well, 
I don't know, this morning maybe I'll go for a walk. I'll write it this afternoon. The afternoon came around. I don't know, there's some good stuff on the radio, maybe, or maybe I'll call my friend and talk to him for a while, or maybe my wife and I can do something, and uh, I'll write it tonight. I was always putting it off, and I was always telling myself, I don't really want to do it. I hate to write. There's a million things I'd rather do. I'd rather take my camera and take pictures of my dog or my daughter or something, or I'll go for a walk or I'll do something. But the minute I started writing, I loved it. I wouldn't stop until the story was finished. And that's one reason that I love comics, because you could write a comic, or I could write a comic book at one sitting. I'd write the whole book without getting up. And uh, I know if I was writing a novel, that would take weeks or months. But a comic book, bingo. You sit down, you start writing, you don't stop until you finish. And that was a good feeling. One of the things that you... Uh, say in the book, you quote Harvey Picard as saying that he wants to push people into their lives. He wants to what? Push people into their own lives. Push them? Yeah, into their own lives with the comics. And I think that's kind of what your stuff does, is that when we look at these kind of superheroes, it really makes us think, what would I do with that? And we think about these things. So I'd like you to just talk about you know, the process of your really humanizing your characters and getting them into things that turning them to people that the readers could not just care about and want to follow, but think, boy, if I had that power, I could be that. Well, of course, when you write any character, you want people to, you want the reader to empathize with your characters. So I tried to write the kind of characters that would make the reader say, boy, I wish I were him. I wish I could do what he does. And I'll bet if I were him, I could do that. Maybe I could do it better. Maybe I wouldn't do it as well, I don't know. But the main thing as a writer, you want people to care about your characters, be interested in your characters, and want to get to know your characters better, in which case they'll buy more and more stories about them. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, you just mentioned story. Story is so important to us as humans. That's how we define ourselves. I mean, if you ask me who I am, I'll tell you a story. And I think that's what your characters do. When you create these kind of superheroes, you create such strong stories, especially when you talk about the origin stories of, of the characters. And I think that makes all of us think about, well, how did I get to who I am? So how did I get what? To, who, to be who I am. What's my origin story? And, and I'd like you to just talk about this process of coming up with a character and creating them, and then that kind of the the story arc, what that is for you. What, what's important to you in a story? Well, the toughest thing and perhaps one of the most interesting things about uh, creating a new character is creating his or her origin. And that goes whether it's a superhero or whether you're writing a book about a normal person. Uh, you have to figure out where did this person come from? How did this person get the way he is? What caused him to be this way? Whatever the problem is in his life that's going to make the book interesting and worth reading, what brought about that problem? And that's what makes writing stories fun. You have to work those things out. If it's a superhero with a superpower, you have to figure out how did he get that superpower? And um, in my case, I took the cowardly way out, usually. I, with um, the Fantastic Four, I just said they were hit by cosmic rays. With um, 
who were the Hulk. I said Bruce Banner was hit by gamma rays. Now, I have no idea what a cosmic ray or a gamma ray is, but it sounded scientific, and um, that was easy. When I had to do the X-Men, I, had, I was too lazy to think of another reason. Uh, I couldn't think of any other kind of rays they might have been hit with, so I took the easy way out, and I just said, eh, they were born that way, they were mutants. That was the lazy way to do it, but, but I, it seemed to work. With Spider-Man, of course, I had him bitten by a radioactive spider. It, it was fun, always trying, but you have to find something that even though it maybe it wouldn't happen in real life, it had a sound like it might happen in real life. There always had to be a way that the reader would go along with you and uh, take a shot at it and say, all right, well, maybe that's possible. It, it couldn't sound too illogical. But once you had your origin, then you're off and running and you could do whatever stories you want. Now, you started in a really different environment when you were writing comics, they were, as you said, mostly for kids, and people had no high regard. The people who were making comics had no high regard for your readers. You realize now you're writing for scholars. <laughs> there, are, there are college classes and people getting master's degrees in the Marvel Universe, I'm, I'm quite sure. So I'd like you to talk about how people now, how your audience now should think about approaching comics. Well, years ago when we started in comics, they were read mostly by kids and by grown-ups who perhaps um, weren't the type of people who would read a novel by Dostoevsky. Um, today, it's totally different. Today, comics have become really part of the mainstream, and they are not only read by educated people, by college students and so forth, but they are written by the top writers. I mean, there are people writing comics today who are screenwriters, who are novelists, who have won Emmys and Oscars for writing, because today they know if they write a good comic book, the chances are it'll end up being a movie or a TV series. Somebody will discover it. So suddenly, some of the best writers in the world are quite happy to write a comic book. And um, so the whole field has changed tremendously. And of course, with the movies that have come out based on Marvel comics, based on other comics too, but Marvel is my baby, uh, based on them being so incredibly successful, that's put comics in a new light also. People now tend to take comics much more seriously than they did years ago. Now, I have one last question for you. You just talked about the movies based on the comics. And while that's a really interesting, the movies are a big deal and they're powerful experiences, I think it's really different. And I was, uh, Jonathan Lethem mentioned this to me. Uh, he's a big fan of comics and, you know, a prize winning novelist. And uh, his, what he said was that in the movies, the story just flows past you and you just sit there. In the comics, it's a very complicated reading experience. You have to, as a reader, you have to look at the picture, read the dialogue. There are the lines between the pictures. So it's a jump. It's a really complicated experience. And I'd like you to just talk about writing for that kind of medium that requires so much assembly from the reader's mind. 
Well, it's hard for me to say. I, I think every type of writing is a different discipline. Writing a comic book, again, it depends how you do it, whether you use the Marvel method or whether you start with a full script. But you've got to always be bearing in mind, am I writing something that an artist will be able to draw well? If you write a screenplay, you've got to say, am I writing something that they'll be able to photograph well? Will it look good when it's photographed? Am I spending too much time on this scene? Uh, should there be a fast cut and go to the next scene? In a comic book, am I spending too much time on these panels? Maybe I should tell my story in two panels instead of three and move on to the next scene. Every type of writing has its own problems, but they're all similar. The main thing is you want to keep the reader or the viewer to keep his interest up and let him wonder what comes next, whether he's looking at panels or looking at scenes in a movie. Stan, what comes next for you? Probably another interview. <laughs> Do you have any more movies uh, planned? Or? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to talk about them because, as you know, when you do a movie or a TV show or anything like that, the company that's going to distribute it, they want to be the first one to make the announcement. But I can say we are working here at POW Entertainment. We're working on a number of movies, a number of TV series. We're working on some things for the internet, some digital productions. We have a live action show that we're putting together. It's going to start in Macau in the Orient. It's a big show like the Cirque du Soleil, and it involves the audience. And it's we've been preparing that for about a year, and it's moving along now. So. I, I do keep very busy. I love doing it. I love being busy, and um, that's it. I've been speaking with Stan Lee. Thank you for joining me, Stan. Hey, you're a good interviewer. That was good. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.